Hello, friends. Thanks for finding the epilogue to Poison and Power, Season 3 of Moral Courage Radio. I'm Joel Pruce, the producer of Moral Courage Radio and coordinator of the Moral Courage Project, a program of the University of Dayton Human Rights Center and Proof Media for Social Justice. Across three seasons, I think this is the first time you've heard my voice. I decided to put together one more episode for a special reason. While it's almost trite by now to remark on how messed up the past year and a half have been, about the time last summer, when we had completed our interviews and were moving into the production phase of this work, we lost one of our own. So, we wanted to give her life and her memory due space, since she contributed to and shaped a finished product that she didn't live long enough to hear. September 2nd, 2020. Jill Parker, a dear friend and treasured student, died suddenly this past Saturday. On the evening of the bicycle accident, which occurred in a rural area north of the city, Dayton witnessed the most brilliant sunset of the summer. A wild, warm, neon pink spilled across the sky until it covered all the space there is to see. My art teacher in elementary school used to remind the class that, when we draw, we should make the colors say their names. On the evening we lost Jill, the sky said neon pink. Last fall, Jill was selected to be a team member with the 2020 cohort of the Moral Courage Project, which was a fulfillment of a long-held desire. When she first arrived on campus, Jill visited with Dr. Natalie Hudson for academic advising with one question. What do I have to do to be a part of the Moral Courage Project? Jill's older sister, Maura, was a part of the 2018 team that produced America the Borderland, and Jill was simply an ideal fit for us from the start. She was everything we look for in a student, head, heart, and hands. We began to prepare for fieldwork in the spring term until the pandemic sent us home and prevented us from traveling. The team regrouped and pushed on this summer to position ourselves to design and produce this fall. In that time, Jill conducted interviews, collected images, wrote music, and contributed animation. Jill grounded us and lifted us up across months of Zoom sessions. We've spent time these past few days reflecting on how much she changed our lives as well as how much she left behind for us. Her teammates and her teachers miss her so much already. Jill was a photographer, an illustrator, a musician, and a storyteller. She loved going for bike rides, coasting on her skateboard, hiking and backpacking, gardening, and just playing. Jill had a sharp and patient mind. She could comfort an awkward moment with a smile and lend her confidence to someone in the room who needed it. Jill was so cool, and everyone wanted to be friends with her. A profound sense of connection and connectedness infused everything she did. But above all else, she was a human being who treated other human beings with respect and decency. It's cliche to say of the dead that they were thoughtful, caring, or closely attentive to the needs of others. But in fact, those are rather rare traits among the living. Jill and I spoke earlier this summer about the future, about how anxious she was feeling as she confronted a looming 2021 graduation into a world still rife with pandemic and an unforgiving economy. I feel so deeply sad for her peers, who can now count an additional source of uncertainty, a first-hand reminder of the fragility of life itself. I told her to do her thing, make art, practice craft, experiment, play, create, build a body of work. Because this summer, the summer before graduation, may be the last chance she had to be free from the constraints and burdens of adulting. I hope that eased her head and untethered her heart and hands. As her teacher, 
A memorial is the closest I'll get to the letter of recommendation I'll never be asked to write. I'm grateful for her voice and her vision that the Moral Courage Project carries forward in our work. Work that will continue despite and with her absence. In peace. Joel R. Proust, Team Lead, Moral Courage Project, Associate Professor, Department of Political Science, University of Dayton. Here's take 100 and something of Clear Air After the Storm by Ainsley Wells. All right, this is an interview between Bridget and Jill. Jill being the interviewer and Bridget being the (laughs) interviewee. Say hello, Bridget. Hello. Is the microphone down here? No, it's right here. All right. Uh Got it. All right. Let's do this. Okay, Bridget, I want you to start by talking about your Instagram and your experience with your Instagram. Specifically, um, what do you like to post to your Instagram? And if you don't post often, why or why not? Give us your thoughts. Um, Before we get started, do you guys have any more questions about our project? Um, Okay. I'm the one to have been in contact with the last couple of days, um, and I'm part of the Moral Courage Project. These are my partners in crime, uh, if you guys want to introduce yourselves. (laughs) So, let's see. Yeah, I guess to begin, I just wanted to start um, by asking you guys Um, your individual stories of how you got involved in water activism um, and how that kind of started for the two of you. Oh no! Did she cut out? Yeah, so can you guys tell me a little bit about the first times that you went out and tested the water together, learning that process uh, and doing it together? So somebody else, scientists were supposed to do testing and somebody didn't come with equipment. Can you clarify that for me? So you guys, you've been working on a lot of projects. for the past, what, 10 years now, or longer for uh, both of you. Um, so what really pulled you into this community of activists and what keeps you going and doing your work? Yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> I love the mountains too, and I don't live near mountains, but we've got really big sand dunes that I love, but boy, I would, I would just love to live in the mountains like that. During the first week of quarantine, I had this phase where I couldn't stop looking at my old calendar and every morning it was the first thing I would check and I'd look at all the meetings or events that were supposed to have gone on that day. And then I went through this phase where I went through all my old email notifications for my morning news briefing and I watched the coronavirus headlines like climb their way to the top through February. And I would go back and forth between my camera roll and these headlines to watch what I was doing while it was essentially sneaking up on us. And I was never really sad while I did this. I was just more surprised, I guess. Um, And definitely numb with a sort of unsourceable anxiety. Um, It wasn't until more recently that I was able to really comprehend what's going on. And I suppose... I started to feel more sad then, but as soon as I was sad, I was able to feel really happy too. I mean, it's weird how when you're numb, you can't feel either, but once you're no longer numb, it's like an explosion of 
both at once and it's really confusing. So I'm quarantined here with my family and Sachin and Rhea. Um, there was something really comforting about transitioning back home with Rhea because I think it was less jarring. I feel like I have a piece of college back at home with me so I don't completely feel suddenly like an isolated high schooler again. <laughs> and it's just really fun to add Sachin and Rhea's personalities to the house because they mesh so well with us but clearly bring different energy and it's been cool to see that. So as far as moral courage and school and other classwork goes, I've let myself get through the phase of disappointment but now, I guess, I just view it as something completely separate. Um, I suppose that's what I have to do. And there's still a lot of unknown, but I'm getting used to that and feeling more comfortable in that. Um, it's allowing, allowing me to get more excited about things again and feel a little more grounded. So I feel like my mind has freed up to research and explore again. I think coming to terms with things being different was the biggest hurdle for me. So now that I'm adjusting, I'm feeling more confident. While all this goes on, it's been really nice to watch spring come in because it happens really slowly in my hometown. Um, and for everything that has gone on really quickly, it's been a nice change of pace. In the Midwest, a day of sunshine in February is not the same as sunshine in June or even mid-October. As I stepped out of my car, I could see the line was spilling outside of the restaurant entrance, wrapping its way around the building. I gave a look to my friends emerging from the back seats, a collective shrug. This time of year, the sun just has that effect on you. There's a school dance somewhere tonight, as indicated by the couples to our left. Shaking knees, awkward laughs, and a concoction of youthful perfume and cologne hangs in the air. Children rule the aisles, toddling and laughing alongside waiters and waitresses who delicately balance trays while they dip and weave through the crowd. The sun has set low enough in the sky to cascade through the windows and color the room gold, and it almost feels as if everyone has gathered here in its honor. My friends sit together, two from high school, visiting, and three from college. I met Pepper and Kelly around this time last year, in January. They've got the sun in their eyes, and they're next to my friend Rebecca, shielded by Shadow, who I've known since the seventh grade. Across from her is Cam, and he's got the firelight from the kitchen at his back. We met him our senior year, and Rebecca and him got together six months after graduation. Next to Cam is Carter, who sat across from me almost a year ago at another picnic table on an anxious first date. My eyes connect these dots from one person to another, and I watch this web form in my mind. I lose track of time. We all only bought one fountain drink, and it's shot back and forth across the table, sliding and bumping and threatening to tip at any moment. There's no formalities. There's splitting dishes like a giant baked cauliflower. There's exchanging of stories like all the times we had been camping in terrible weather. And there's the kind of laughter that's so real it's almost embarrassing. I'm dying to get my pizza, but I can't stop laughing and smiling. This time of the year, 
the sun just has that effect on you. Well, for time purposes, I think that's probably where we're going to have to stop it. But um, thank you so much for your interview.